Thank you again for supporting our podcast, Redefining Family. This is your host, Jonathan Wilson, and welcome back. Today's episode is called Sisterly Love. Before we get into this next guest, I talked a little bit about starting the surrogacy process in my last episode. It's been an interesting journey, and I find myself fine-tuning my decisions on almost a daily basis. I talked about having my desire to have a Black female Ivy League donor. However, now, <laughs> this week, I decided that I may not be so rigid on the college piece. So you never know what decisions you're going to be making, but I will definitely keep you up to date on my upcoming episodes. Uh, lots happening in the month of May, so very excited for that. And it's really fun, but it's, it's also like this is the rest of your life. Anyways, as for my next guest from the city of brotherly love, I'm excited to introduce to you our guest, Reverend Naomi Washington Leapart. Enjoy. So excited for my next guest, Reverend Naomi Washington Leapart. She's a daughter of Detroit. She's also the director of faith-based and interfaith affairs for the city of Philadelphia. In this role, she serves as a public-facing leader, liaison, and subject matter expert for the mayor's office on local and national matters that impact diverse communities of faith. She also manages the Mayor's Commission on Interfaith Affairs. Wow, that's exciting. So welcome. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. First of all, what does it mean to be part of the mayor's office? Like, how do you give them the right advice? I mean, before we go into your story, I, I just want to understand what that means. <laughs> yeah, so Philly is one of only a handful of cities that has a municipal office like mine situated within the mayor's administration to specifically engage uh, faith communities and to set a table, a hospitable table for people of faith in City Hall and to see faith communities as resources, as experts, as contexts that we need to be able to understand what's going on in Philadelphia. So uh, it means that I am I am the person who tries to bring some moral clarity to policymaking uh, as a faith leader in City Hall. Try to keep in mind... See, moral clarity. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just like, I'm, I'm touching on that. Yeah. <laughs> bring moral clarity. I love that. Boom. I'm sorry, keep going. Yeah, I mean, I think we need the language. We need prophetic language in... In our local government, we need somebody to bring us back to the reason we're here, which is to serve the people with excellence. So I see my role in that way as well. So both as a an outward facing liaison to faith communities and somebody on the inside who can bring the language of imagination and spirituality to policymaking and bureaucracy. I like that a lot, actually. That's great. I think LA needs to have that. <laughs> we need to take notes. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Tell us a little bit about how you became interested in, in, in religious affairs. And then in general, maybe what was your what was your coming out journey? Well, so, you know, I've always... Both, two different questions. Right, right. But you can tell two different questions. I asked it in one, but they might, you know... Feel free to answer which one you feel comfortable first. Well, I think it's it's helpful for me to start at the beginning, which is is to say that I've always been a church girl. I don't remember a time when I wasn't involved in an, in religious life, in religious community. My grandmother came to pick us up every Sunday morning and took us to Sunday school, and then we stayed. 
before the service. And then if there was a service after the service, we stayed. We didn't go home until grandma went home. Right. So <laughs> right. I know that church has formed me. It's where I gave my first public speech. It's where I gave my first public solo. It's where I learned to facilitate a meeting, right? It's where I learned to, you know, put on my sharpest clothes and uh, be styling and profiling, right? There's so much of religious life that I carry with me, even though I've walked away from the theologies I was raised with. That brings me to the second question of my coming out story and how it really parallels my spiritual coming out. So as I said, I was a church girl. I was a kind of super church member. I was involved in music ministry and young adult ministry and singles ministry and all of that and saw myself as... I have to say, my my Aunt Tiny, like your grandmother reminds me of my Aunt Tiny, <laughs> which we called her Tiny. Tiny wasn't Tiny. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I lo- but we loved her. I mean, she was, no, she was awesome though. And she could cook like, you, uh, know, you know what. Uh. But anyways, so Tiny would take Take me to church. If I ever went to church with her, I would always opt to go to somebody else. Because if I went to church with her, be there all day. she stayed all day. I said, what time is it over? She said, when it's when over. It's over. <laughs> what time is it over? When it's right, over. Right, right. And it could be, it really could be like 5 p.m. And we got there at 8 in yeah, the morning. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it was, you know, <laughs> it was a journey. Yeah, we have that shared anyways, experience. Yeah. Right yeah. <laughs> you know, not only was she at church all the time, but she was a leader in church. So there was the additional pressure of being like my grandmother, who also was named Naomi. I am named after her. Oh, that's great. So little Naomi and mother Naomi, you know, we were attached at the hip and people expected me to follow in her footsteps. And in some ways, I guess I am now, but I never saw it happening for me then. I went to college, was active in church, but, you know, didn't see myself called to professional ministry at all, even though my nickname in college was Reverend. (laughs) Who has a nickname Reverend? Like, that's not... So... I think that was foreshadowing (laughs) from your friends. (laughs) People people saw in me something that it took me a long time to see for myself, right? All right, Reverend. (laughs) (laughs) I can see all that good news. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So... You know, I was still I was still kind of in denial about this pull I felt to deeper engagement in questions of faith. And then finally joined a church where there was a woman as the pastor. And that was my first time uh, with a woman pastor. And so it was wonderful. And she said to me one day, when are you going to stop running? And I was like, what do you mean? I mean, I'm so fulfilled professionally. I was teaching high school and felt satisfied with that. I didn't feel any existential angst. I didn't feel like, you know, the pieces of my life were falling apart and I couldn't figure out how to put them together. I was fine. Right. And she says, when are you going to stop running? She said, the longer you wait, the more difficult it will be to tear yourself away from the things you think you have to be committed to to say yes to this call to ministry. There will be this ache in your gut as long as you don't say yes to this. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, whatever. And to make a long story short, I ended up experiencing a taste of seminary. 
uh, sitting in a seminary class and meeting other seminary students. And by the end of that taste, I was very clear that that's where I wanted to be, where I could just sit around. <laughs> I found my home. Exactly. These are my people. <laughs> y'all just sit around and talk about faith. What that y'all, where have y'all been all my life? Right. And so I went to seminary and uh, then finally said, yes, stopped running from this call to professional religious leadership. Now, I will say at the same time, I was coming out publicly as a queer person. So before seminary, I was just sort of like my personal life is my personal life, you know, and I like who I like. <laughs> that was my line. That was my line. You know, I like who I like and my personal life is my own. It's my business. So I was dating men. I was dating women. But that part of me, I bracketed off. Right. And then in seminary, I was fortunate to meet out Black queer ministers for the first time. I didn't even know there was a community like that. That just... Exactly. I, I'm actually in, in shock. <laughs> <laughs> the audience can't see my face, but I'm in shock. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Taking it Absolutely. in. Absolutely. I mean, I thought that there had to be a whole lot of turmoil and anxiety, and you got to reconcile these two contradictory things, your faith and your sexuality and blah, blah, blah. And where will you get a job? Will anybody hire you if you are out? And and all of the people that I met were simply living as out Black queer spiritual leaders. They did not have problems reconciling. There was nothing to reconcile. They just existed, right? That I am a person of faith and I am a queer person. Or I am a trans person. That's it. And I saw that they were so sure of their belovedness. Belovedness is such a big word. It, it, I it love is. that. I mean, yeah, that does something. Yeah, up. they were really yeah. clear that God's love is extravagant. Is one of my spiritual mentors describes it as wasteful, right? That God just just you know lavishes us with love. And they were so clear about that. I was like, well, what is my problem? Why am I continuing? You're going to make me cry because I feel like I feel so blessed. So like the what you're saying, I really do. I feel like I don't know what it is, but I feel like God has really protected me over the years. You know, I didn't realize how much he protected me until probably the past few years. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter what, I've always bounced back and sometimes even better than before. <laughs> so it's such a weird I feel that I've been very blessed anyway, so I had a moment Sorry. no I feel that because I am saved by this community you know we talk a lot about salvation and what constitutes salvation and when are you saved and what my salvation has been my people finding people who not only knew that God loved them but they loved me even before I could understand what was happening. I was being loved well, right? And they were the ones who gave me the courage to finally come out to um, my family, finally come out publicly, like on social media, you know, on the internet that lasts forever, you know, that it's on the internet. <laughs> and so there's no going back. There's no closing that door. And so I say all the time that finding Jesus, getting closer to God, becoming a faith leader, happened at the same time as I came to know myself and to publicly share myself as a queer person. So those things happened simultaneously for me. And I don't think it's by accident that they happen simultaneously. 
oh, absolutely not, right? If I was going to say yes to the call to ministry, I had to say yes to my own self too, right? And God knew that. And so that happened. I could not say yes to God without saying yes to myself. And so they happened at the same time. And then I saw that these folks who were my people were getting jobs in ministry, right? Unapologetically, you know. You're like, I can get hired and be queer. <laughs> right. I said, well, so the last hang up, the last excuse, the last hesitation has been eliminated, right? That, you know, my spiritual mentor, Bishop Flunder, Bishop Yvette Flunder says all the time, God won't lead you where God won't feed you, right? And so- I, too, have felt very well taken care of by God in this journey. I have to take that in. You say these things, right? But, like, it takes me a minute to really get... So, wait, God won't leave you where God won't God won't you. lead you. That is a good... God won't leave you where phrase. God won't feed you. Man, I'm going to listen to this just so I can get the quotes down. <laughs> All right, keep going. Yeah, so I left seminary clear that I wanted to be unapologetically Black, and unapologetically queer. And I left understanding that, you know, perhaps parish ministry, congregational ministry would not be the only context where I would serve. I did, was on a pastoral team. uh, So was part of the life of one church, a congregation, you know, preaching and teaching and marrying people and burying people and the whole thing. And for me, there were some limitations right? There were, you know, a pastor really does need to be grounded in the congregation where you're serving. And I had my attention set. I had also other interests. I wanted to do something about legislation. I was in seminary during the the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. When Trayvon Martin was killed, I was in seminary, Oh yeah, right? So I knew that I wanted to do ministry that went beyond the local church, So that's what I've been doing. I'm now at the city of Philadelphia in this faith-based role. Before that, I was with the National LGBTQ Task Force, which is the largest LGBTQ rights organization, or the oldest, rather, if you uh, chronicle it that way. And I'm still preaching. People still inviting me to preach. People still invite me to teach. And so I'm just tickled, right? That I mean, I might tell you that all <laughs> give me a personal service. <laughs> it's awesome. I'm tickled that that I really have been able to do the work my soul desires and haven't missed a step. And and I don't say that trying to toot my own horn. I say that because I really do believe that when you know how beloved you are, whether that means beloved to God or beloved to your peoples or even beloved to your own self. When you know how worthy and loved you are just for existing, it's so much, I don't want to say easier, but it's, you get the courage you need to be able to pursue the passion and the purpose uh, that you're called to pursue. Right. You can do it because you can take the risks because, you know, I'm loved. Right. My people got me. God has my back. Right. And so I can go out and do the thing that really, really makes me happy, really brings me joy. So anyway, that's the long story short. I came out in seminary. I don't know that I would recommend that people come (laughs) come out the way I did, but it was absolutely the journey that I needed. What about how you told your family? How did you tell your family? How was it received? 
it can be a very rocky journey for a lot of people. Let me say first that I feel grateful that I did not grow up in a family situation or in a church situation that was virulently and openly homophobic or anti-LGBTQ. Right. So I never heard sermons that were like condemning people to hell for their sexuality. I never heard that. At the same time, heterosexuality was normative. Cisgender identity was normative, right? So we didn't think or talk about, we didn't imagine that queer and trans people existed, right? Which is its own kind of violence. You just erase people from your consciousness. So I'll start there that I did not, I didn't have any like assurance that, oh my goodness, I'm going to get kicked out or I'm going to get excommunicated or I didn't have that fear. But, you know, this was not, there was nobody else like me. (laughs) So, you know, I didn't know. You felt very unique. (laughs) I did. I did. So my father died in 2012. So I did not get to come out to him. Oh, sorry to hear that. And thank you. And so my mom was the person I needed to have the conversation with. And so she came to visit me in seminary. And I invited her because she was wanted to hear me preach and wanted to see the work that I was doing. And so she was there for a, a weekend. Right. And we were hanging out on Saturday, the day before the Sunday worship and having a good, there, were, there was good energy. And so I was like, well, maybe now's the time because, it, you know, we're having a good time. <laughs> we're reconnecting. And so we were sitting at a diner eating and I just sort of blurted it out. I just sort of blurted it out, which if I had to do it again, maybe I would have been a little bit more thoughtful about it. But I was I was really vibing on our energy. And so I thought, okay, and it didn't go well. It did not go well. All of the things that Christian people have been taught to think about sexuality, whether they actually believe those things or not, we still ingest these narratives. All of those narratives came back up in that conversation for her. Oh, yeah. Things I had never heard her say she believed. She had never uttered a word, a crossword about queer and trans people before that moment. But in that conversation, all of the internalized messaging around sexuality, religious messaging around sexuality came up. And so she... You know, I was everything but a child of God and I was a hypocrite because I was standing in the pulpit preaching and here I know I'm living in sin and my lifestyle. I mean, it was it was bad. Right. Yeah. No, no. I yeah, I've heard it. (laughs) I was more surprised than hurt in that moment because I just did not I didn't anticipate that this is where the conversation would go. Right. And so she told me that she was going to get on the plane and go home. She wasn't coming to church. Forget it. You know. And so I took her back to her hotel and went back home myself and prepared for church the next day. And I can't remember whether it was late that night or early the next morning. She called me. My mother called me and said, what time are you picking me up for church? Something had happened overnight. Something had happened. I don't know whether, you know, Jesus knocked on her door. I don't know what happened. (laughs) But. I think that she decided that she didn't want to lose me because listen, I was really clear that I had already lost a parent Mm -hmm. and I was very clear that life was short and I could not tolerate. I wasn't willing to tolerate someone who was only tolerating me. Yeah, exactly. One of the things I said to her was, if you walk away, I'm not going to chase you. 
And so I don't want you to walk away. I want us to be in relationship. But if you do, I'm not going to chase you. <laughs> I'm worth having in your life. And if you can't see that, then that's okay. <laughs> and so I think that what happened is she realized she didn't want to walk away and run the risk of my saying goodbye. So we've just been evolving from there. It has not been completely smooth in terms of our journey. Sometimes it feels like we have taken five steps forward and we're sliding three steps back and it's kind of this, you know, there, there are things that she still needs to understand. There are things that, still things that I won't put up with. Did she come with curiosity? Not at first. I think, you know what? I don't know that she would say it this way, but I saw her initial reaction as one of grief. I think that is a stage when your kids come out. I think that's a stage. It's like the grief around everything that you thought <laughs> that you wanted for right. your kid is right. suddenly not going right. to happen in your mind. <laughs> Anyways, exactly. keep going. Exactly. Exactly. Well, if we think, I think you're right. The five stages of grief, as they've been described. I mean, anger is one of them. Denial is one of them, right? And so I think that the process has been... I'm looking my head. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, the five stages of grief. Like, you know, I'm angry. This is not what I anticipated. And then I'm disappointed about all of the potential losses, right? She wanted a daughter to have a baby and the this and the that. I mean, all of the things that she didn't even know she expected. Right. Came up and she had to mourn those things. I'm not going to be that person that she thought I was going to be. So I think that now she's much more curious. Let me also say this. I think this is important. Yep. The dysfunctionality in our relationship that existed before I came out <laughs> were exacerbated by my coming out. So that is to say. That's real. Yeah, that whatever real. relationship you already have. <laughs> so so my mother I mean, was. Particular... <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, exactly what yeah. I think there was dysfunction already. And then the coming out, they just like, they latched onto that and became a whole nother thing, right? Exactly. So exactly. I think you're right. That's what happened. I think that my mother wasn't particularly curious about my life before I came out. <laughs> That's the truth. And now that I'm grown and I'm parenting, I can see my mother in some ways that I wasn't able to see her for a long time, right? Stuff that used to just make me mad. Now I'm like seeing her as the woman she is, as opposed to... Yeah. Kind of my mother. And so she's not a particularly curious person about other people generally. That just doesn't come naturally to her. So when I came out, she wasn't asking a whole lot of questions then either. <laughs> you know, she she just. Right. Right. So over time in conversation, in relationship, the questions come up. You know, she wants to know, well, what does this term mean? Yeah. You know, well, she comes to the panel that I was on and she's like, well, I noticed that everybody shared their pronouns. What is that? What do you mean by that? Right. So those kinds of things come much more naturally to her now. Okay, got it. In terms of my wider extended family, you know, I have a very churchy extended family. Yeah. And nobody has been mean to me at all. Nobody has been mean to my family. And it's still not something that people feel comfortable kind of talking openly about. I mean, they know Naomi, she got this wife, <laughs> you know, she's, she knows the Bible more than we do. So, <laughs> but I would love to see someone go head to head with you about the Bible. 
the Bible says, no, 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 the Bible says this. <laughs> yeah, so people leave that alone. They leave that, they leave that alone. They don't, they don't bother with that. But there is still a, it still feels novel. It's a not, we're a novelty, my little queer family, right? Yep. Sometimes that makes me sad that here we are in 2022 and, and my family is still kind of this novelty, this kind of... How old are your kids? Our daughter's 15. Okay. So is she not necessarily immersed in the family as much? Is that... Or has she been... Well, on my side of the family, we haven't been... That's another feature of this kind of estrangement, right? Nobody is hostile. Nobody is mean. Right. Right? Nobody is, like, disinviting us from things. It's a don't ask, don't tell policy within the family. But it's a don't, it's, it's a don't <laughs> ask, don't tell. We kind of don't, you know. And so we don't have the same kind of ease of relationship, right, on my side of the family as we do on on my wife's side of the family. You know, I'd be at the house for, for the holidays and, you know, spending the night and we going, you know. So... That's been a different family situation, but I think it's born out of the fact that my wife's family is just much more hospitable. They are the party throwers. You know, we're going to have to get together, the backyard barbecue. I mean, that that's just the way they are. And so I just came into the family and, okay, what you drinking? You know, or whatever, right? <laughs> that's a great family to marry into. Yeah, yeah. But that's my, my side of the family is hasn't been that... That way, I mean, just with any with anybody, we don't really we're not that social kind of, and so it shows. It's, it's interesting. I you know as I as I get older, I start to notice things about just relatives, and I'm like, oh, I get how they got that way, or it's a form of acceptance that's very different than it used to be, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I I follow everything you're saying, but I think there's a lot of people and. Seth, not to say especially black people, but I feel like there's a lot of people that uh, are going through exactly what you described, where it's like they aren't fully accepted, <laughs> but they aren't outwardly hated. <laughs> so they're just kind of allowed to be there. <laughs> so, which is a very different experience, experience of its own. So now tell me a little bit more around how LGBTQ and your seminary kind of plays out today, how the two combines play out. And, and what should people who are on their coming out journey, who are struggling with faith, what should they be thinking about? Or maybe how should they go about asking themselves the right questions or asking God the right questions? Or mm-hmm. I know all of that. I, I, I tend to do compound questions. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. You thought it was just one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one thing that I learned from my journey is that faith is not an individual activity. It's not a solo effort. And what white evangelicalism would have us believe, what American patriotism would have us believe, is that we are able to do great things, meaningful things, holy things by ourselves, right? You know, I grew up in a context where they were like, you need to accept Jesus as your personal savior, belongs to you. Put Jesus in your heart. Those are familiar terms to me. (laughs) And (laughs) every Sunday. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But I don't think that that's how it works. 
right? Mm. Jesus wasn't going around asking people to accept him as their personal savior. That's nowhere in the book. Right. He brought people together. They talked about the scriptures together. The tradition says, or the scripture says, and Jesus would say, well, yeah, the scripture does say that. And, and, you know, so they were already sharing in community this spiritual commitment, right? So I would say to anybody who is like wrestling with what they've been taught by the tradition, that they got to get themselves together, that your life, you got to be sinless and you got to, you know, say the sinner's prayer and you got to, that's all an individual activity, right? But that is not what saves us. What saves us is the community that surrounds us with love and mercy and respect and justice. Those things save us, right? And so get with some other people, right? If you're like, I'm reading this scripture, I don't know what I'm reading. They told me that this is what this means, but I don't know. Get with some other people because these texts were never meant to be understood in isolation. They were always meant to be understood in community, right? Um, So that's one thing I would say. Secondly is, you know, going back to my story, God is not asking me to do something that is in direct conflict with my ability to live without shame and without guilt. Like God is not inviting you to do something that will make you hate yourself. I believe that's true. That's counterintuitive, counterproductive for God. What God invites us to is a deeper love for self and others, right? Yeah, that's 100% right. You cannot love God by rejecting yourself. You're right. And so know that your faith is not compromised by your loving yourself, by your being unapologetic about being yourself, right? In fact, that is what's going to bring you closer to God's presence, the other thing I would say is, you know, how I was talking about how I didn't think that there would be a job for me and, there, you know, this is going to be a moot, a moot point, right? God has shown out. God has shown out. Now, I am not, I, you know, I grew up around a lot of churchy people, but I am not the churchy person who's like, you know, God, you know, I trust that God will make it. A, I'm a very cynical person. <laughs> okay. I am no, I, I do believe God has a path, but you also need to help him. Right. Exactly. 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 It's not the exactly. Path come to you. Exactly. Exactly. God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not, you know, no. No, I I, I agree. So I'm not a person who's like, oh, God made it all happen for me. No. But I do believe that, as you said right at the beginning. I have been taken care of. I've been protected. A lot of people tell horror stories about being, getting hate mail and and whatever. I mean, I've gotten a few pieces of hate mail, hate email. People say things about you online or whatever. That has happened. Yep. But the overwhelming majority of my ministry career has been full of opportunity and invitation. So know that there is something available to you on the other side of coming out. There is a faith community that is looking for you, right? There is a pastor who wants you. There is a young queer or trans kid who is looking for you to be joined at the hip to you, 
and see in you the possibilities. Right now, in a religious context where you aren't there, they aren't able to see that people like us exist. No, you're so right. That's right. So I think that I would say, hold on, because your people are there waiting for you. And it's just a matter of how the stars will align to put you in the same place. Stop listening to every preacher. (laughs) (laughs) Not every preacher is a good one. (laughs) Right. There's a lot of theological talk floating around. Soundbite theology, you know, somebody is on a meme or something like that. And they said one line that rhymes and everybody, you know, took off with it. And it's like, no, everybody who is preaching is not preaching your sermon. (laughs) Another good quote. (laughs) Find somebody who is actually pouring into you and not preaching to you about all the ways you need to change. All the things, all the, you know, the ways that you're, you know, dirty and unrighteous and all of this. The world does enough of that, right? The world, (laughs) the world will remind us, right, about how difficult it is, about how weird we are. You don't need that when you go to church. You don't need that when you go to church. That is not to say that I don't think that we should all, we should be accountable to the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But what right. I'm saying is that this preoccupation that people have with getting blessings and get you some teaching, get you some preaching that is actually nourishment to you. And with this pandemic, a lot of stuff is available digitally now that wasn't available before. So Bishop Yvette Flunder is a great place to start. If you go on YouTube and listen to some of her sermons, listen to her singing, you will be blessed. Okay. I might actually do that. I'm, I've been, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I go to Agape now, Okay, so, which is a church here in uh, LA. Do you know about Agape? I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reverend, yeah. Reverend Michael Beckwith. Yeah. So that's, that's one of my, uh, that's where I am now. I used to do West Angeles. Okay. Okay. Which, um, I, I think you know about the sermons there. That's, uh, I, you know, the last one I went to, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Where they talked, you know, I, I do respect Reverend Charles Blake, but talking about how gay people received AIDS as <laughs> as a it's, pandemic. And, it's, it's too much. I, and the, and I, that, I violence, know, that, too much. that violence and that trauma is so old now, too. It's like, come on, it's 2022. You don't have to preach that just because that's what you always preach. That's exactly. Like, I feel like he was preaching on the 80s. <laughs> yeah, he was preaching on the 80s. When I when I was a kid in the 80s, I would go. Exactly. Like, so I was exactly. like, no. Exactly. No. It's, it's like you don't you don't have to keep preaching the wrong thing once you change your once you change your mind you can change your preaching that's it right you know Dr Beckwith is actually friends good friends with Bishop Flunder so oh great if you have a conversation with him about about he's been to a couple of our gatherings and so I got a chance to meet him so yeah so yeah I think that good people know good people I always say that I'm like good people know good people that is what I say all the time my phrase. That's so funny you said that. Well, on that note, (laughs) I do have to say, I feel a kinship with you. I really enjoy you. So thank you so much for spending your time with me this morning. So look forward to your future and maybe I'll find a way to fight out to LA and (laughs) we can do a personal server or something. I don't know. We'll find something. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's figure that out. Let's figure that out. Absolutely. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Look forward to it. (laughs) All right. Cheers.
so for sure I didn't know I wonder what it meant to be 